and it's a privilege to be spending this time together. How incredible it is to be back, to be back. We're, we're in a stadium. It's, I know some of you are a bit cold. There are blankets for those who are, who are a bit cold, but, but we are back, and that's what matters. As a family, as a spiritual family, the gathering of the believers, we really value this time that we have together. So as you've heard, we are going through the book of Nehemiah. And last week, Mike took us through the first two chapters of Nehemiah. And I'm just going to give a quick recap before we go further to, to the next chapters. So last week we saw that Nehemiah got the news. He got the bad report that Jerusalem is in ruins. We saw that Jerusalem and the walls have been destroyed. And how Nehemiah responded was he was moved to a point of weeping. He started to cry. And he started to pray. And he started to fast. And there was also um, identificational repentance that he started. He was repenting on behalf of his people. The whole chapter 1 of Nehemiah was about Nehemiah sitting in front of God Almighty, praying. And just giving his heart over to God. And then chapter 2 goes into where Nehemiah takes action. Where he decides, okay, now this, I've, I've sought my God's face. Now I'm going to go into action. So he went to the king who, who he was working for. And he got favor with the king to go and rebuild the wall. So he t there were a team of people, a group of people that went with him. People that shared the same vision with Nehemiah. And they went with him. There's an incredible verse in chapter 2 verse 18. Um, uh, chapter 2 verse 18. Yes, that, that says, He told the people, rise up and build. And the willingness of the people. They just said, yes, here we are. Let's go. Let's go build together. And we also see in uh, chapter 1 and 2, we could see that the gospel of Jesus is revealed in, the, in Nehemiah's actions. You know, he left the comforts of the, the palace. He stayed with the king. He worked with the king. He was the king's best friend, his right-hand man. And he left the comforts to go and rebuild his people's walls, to rebuild the city, to rebuild, as we know the metaphor is, the church. So we see the gospel. We see, you know, Jesus is saying he left the comforts of heaven to come down and rebuild what God meant from the start to glorify His name, to build the church. So we saw the gospel revealed in Nehemiah's actions. We also saw God's character revealed in the way that Nehemiah portrays himself, his character. As Mike said, he was praying constantly. The grace that he has shown, but also the vision and the purpose that he walked with. And now we are going into chapter 3, and I'm going to touch a little bit on chapter 4 as well. But this, this whole part that we're going into now is the physical rebuilding of the walls. So as I read through chapter 3 for the first time this week, I thought to myself, what is there to preach? Because there's a bunch of names, names that I can hardly pronounce. You'll see as we go on, a bunch of names I, it's difficult to pronounce. And a bunch of names of gates as well. Fishgate, Dunggate, um, Sheepgate. So it's, the whole chapter 3 is about this one built this, and this one built this, and this one built this. And I was thinking, how, how is this a sermon? And we spent time together as a staff team earlier this week. And as we spent time together, I believe the Holy Spirit has given us a message for this time and this season that we are in right now. And I want to ask you to open your hearts, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning. Let's hear what the Holy Spirit wants to tell us about us being the church who He intended us to be. I believe there's a definite message in this. Not just a message, 
but a deep understanding and a heart transformation for us to rise up and be the church you call us to be. And when I say church, I'm not just speaking about the local church, about us. I'm speaking about God's people. I'm speaking about God's body, the church all over the world, believers, the followers of Jesus. Let's rise up and be the church you called us to be. I know the country is under great pressure currently because of the recent, the recent looting and the riots that we saw. We are facing all different kinds of pressures. And with the pandemic, the whole world is under pressure. You as an individual, I know many of you are experiencing great pressures. As a family, you might be experiencing great pressures currently. As a believer in the workplace, now everyone is looking to you. How do you react? I know you're experiencing great pressures. As a church, we are experiencing pressure. And what happens when we experience pressure? What does pressure drive us to do? The, the most common thing we do is we isolate ourselves. We hide ourselves. And we go into this self-protection mindset. Where we go into this mindset of, if I can just keep myself and my family safe and comfortable in this difficult time, then it's okay. Let's just push through. Let's just survive this difficult pressures that we are facing now. We go into this self-protection mindset. And if I read this chapter 3 and 4, this is not what Nehemiah did. This is not what the people did that followed him. They traded the comforts. They traded the self-protection to go and be part of what God called them to be part of. And what a privilege to be part of what God calls us to be part of, to build his church. So Nehemiah 3, as I said, is all about people coming together with a shared vision to build the walls of Jerusalem. Just a couple of sentences just to prove what I'm saying. It's just a bunch of names of people building. Um, then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. Another verse. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And then Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And then the list goes on. There are 50 other names of people that were building different parts of the wall. So while chapter 3 focuses on rebuilding the walls, chapter 4 brings in the opposition. And we touched on that last week as well. There were opposition as well. There's always going to be opposition. And the opposition that they faced with were two specific men. Sanballat, which we heard last week. The meaning of the name Sanballat is, is um, the enemy in secret. That's the rebellious. You know, there are so many oppositions that we face currently. Opposition that presses against what we stand for as believers, as followers of Jesus. Maybe you're experiencing it at your workplace. Maybe you're experiencing it um, in, in government. But then the other enemy, the other opposition that we saw was Tobiah. And that means pleasing to, to Jehovah. That's an interesting name. Tobiah, pleasing to Jehovah. It sounds good. But he was opposing what Nehemiah and the team were doing. He was opposing the rebuilding of the wall. And that points us to the religious and the, and the hypocritical. The people that say, yes, I, I believe in Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. But when, but, but when we need to start to move and, and be the church he called us to be, it's difficult to, to, to agree with that. I don't agree what you guys are busy with. And we end up gossiping about what the church is doing with other people and just bringing dishonor and hopelessness 
Well, we are actually part of the church. What are we doing? We are breaking. We are not building. So we are either going to be builders, we are either going to be breakers, or we are either going to do nothing and be in neutral. And I think that's even worse than being a breaker. To sit in neutral. The B that we can give for that is boring. A builder, breaker, or boring. You know, the greatest, I think one of the greatest, um, I don't know what to call it, but things, you know, characteristics is having great potential and not using it. Let's not be in neutral. Let's go forth and be who God called us to be. I'm going to go through three points with you this morning that I believe we can take from these two chapters, from chapter 3 and 4. And once again, I want to ask you to open your heart and may the Holy Spirit speak to, you, speak to your heart this morning. So there are three points. The first point I want to speak about is they built with burnt stones. All right? So they built the walls of Jerusalem with burnt stones. Now, as we said before, Jerusalem is a metaphor for the church. Now, every single stone that is being pushed into that wall that they are, be, they are building with, every single stone represents a person as part of the church. And we see it there in Nehemiah 4 verse 2. This is actually one of the, the guys that, that was in, in opposition with, with Nehemiah, Sanballat. What he said is, can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? So that suggests, suggests to us that Nehemiah and the people were building with the, rubble, with the stones that was lying in the rubble. They were picking up those stones that went through, through pressures, those stones that went through fire, the stones that were deliberately um, pulled out of the wall and broken down when it was destroyed. And here comes Nehemiah and his team, and they pick up this, these burnt stones that endured a lot of pressures. They pick these stones up and they push it back into the wall. They built with burnt stones. And I, I think the majority of us this morning here, we feel like burnt stones. We are burnt stones. You have been hurt in church feels like you've been burnt or felt like you, get, you have deliberately been knocked out of the wall. You don't feel useful anymore. This, uh, this week, I met a guy. Um, and we, he, heard, he heard what I, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm working full-time uh, for the church. And when he heard it, he said, Yeah, I also used to go to church. Um, I was in a worship band as well when I was young, uh, younger. And... Uh, but yeah, with everything going on now in this world, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not part of that stuff anymore. You know, he's talking about church. Um, I'm, I'm not part of that stuff anymore because of everything that's going on in, in the world. It's, it's crazy. The world is hectic. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not part of church anymore. And it almost sounded like he's saying the church is irre irrelevant. That, that's what I got from that, from that, what he said. And, and I started to think to myself, but is the church irrelevant? Because that's what he's experiencing. Have the church lost its power? Are we, who are burnt stones, are we lying in the rubble and we're happy to lie in the rubble? We want to keep lying in the rubble. Don't pick me up and put me in this wall. I'm a burnt stone and leave me there. Don't use me. Are we happy with that? Because I believe it's because as followers of Jesus... We are happy to just lie on the rubble as burnt stones. Don't touch me. Leave me where I am. I've been hurt. 
but I don't want to get fixed. I don't want to be part of something bigger than myself. That's why we don't see power in the church anymore. God will build His church with burnt stones. Instead of feeling like a strong, useful living stone, we have become burnt stones that are lost in the rubbish of our lost dreams and visions. But then God comes in. Listen to, to 1 Peter 2 verse 5. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here, this living stone is speaking to us. Jesus is speaking to us and He says God has made for us to be living stones. God is building us as living stones into His temple. Burnt stones may not look pretty from the outside, but because they have been through the fire, they have been tested and they have been strengthened. And when I look around, I know I don't know all of you in a personal way, but the majority of you I know we're friends and we've walked the road together for a long time. And I see many, many, many people in front of me, and I'm one of them, that have been tested and that have been through the fire. That we've been through difficult times, but we've been strengthened through these difficult times. And there's a, there's a faith that comes in that. There's a, 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 a strength and a character that comes in us going through the difficult times. It takes great faith to persevere through a tragedy and then to rise again with a determination to keep pursuing the vision. To keep pursuing the vision that goes beyond ourselves. And you will see the reward. You will see God reward His people. Maybe not now. But God will, you will see the fruit in your life. Maybe in the next generation or the next generation. But what a privilege to be part of what God is doing. The second group, the second uh, main point that we get from this is, these group of builders were a diverse group of builders. They were diverse. They were different kinds of people. And they were diverse in, in many ways. There were diverse cultures. There were diverse generations, age groups. Now we see kids here. We see young people, older people. There were diverse generations. And then also there were diverse professions. People that do different things. People that have got different talents. Now let's first look at the diverse cultures. Listen to these names. I'm just going to read you a bunch of names that just tell you the, the, the different people and people groups that came together to help Nehemiah build this wall. Eliashib, men of Jericho, Zachar, sons of Hassanah, Merimoth, Meshulam, Zadok, the men of Tekoa, Joyara, the men from Gibeon, residents of Zenoah, the, Le the Levites, rulers that were from the district of Beth Zer, and also rulers that, from the, that were from the district of Mizpah, and many other more people. So there were people from all across the area, and they all came together with one vision. So we hear the Levites, we hear there were rulers from, from other districts and other districts. They all came together with one vision and they joined in. Now as the church, as God's people, how will we look? How does our list look if we speak about the diverse people coming together? Our list, if we look locally, 
the Afrikaners, the English, Zulus, Swatis, Pedis, people from, from the inner city, people from the suburbs, people from rural areas, people from the eco-estates, or whatever, we all get together and we are the church together. If we look around us, different cultures, different races, different languages sitting here. You know, in this time that we were in now, in South Africa, you know, I saw hands, I saw different colored hands taking, getting together. People getting together to, to help out, to help out those in need in KZN. People praying together from all kinds of uh, races and cultures. It's times in this, in, in this trials, in this test, the fires that we go through. This is where we see the people stand up, the church stand up. And those that, that is part of, the, part of it are those burnt stones that decided, I'm not just going to line the rubble. I want to be part. I want to be pressed into this wall and be the church. May we be those people. All of these people groups coming together with the same vision to see the church as God destined it to be alive, glorifying His name. We're going to see the church come alive. As people get together and build. Diversity is beautiful. I'm not saying to leave your culture. But I'm saying for the sake of the gospel. Let's see the beauty in each other's differences. And let's see how when these differences get together. The church comes alive. Because we all got a part to play. In what other way were the, were the builders different? Diverse generations like I said. In verse 12 in chapter 3 we read. That Shalom repair the next section with the help of his daughters. How amazing is that? Your, his daughters came and helped him build. And not even sons. It's interesting that two girls, his daughters, came and built with him. Generations matter. What's happening up there in the kids' church matters. They are busy being equipped to look after a specific area of the wall that you and I as adults cannot look after. Does that make sense? They are a generation that will focus on their generation. Making disciples where they are placed. We all have different, we, we different generations and God uses us in our different generations. But when the generations come together, again, we will see the church come alive. I want to I speak to the young people. Everyone here that's sitting here that, that consider yourself young. I'll, I'll consider myself young as well. People my age, more or less. I'll speak to the old people now, Mike. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> young people, listen to me. Honor the older generation. Spend time with them. Learn from them. Learn from the, the, their experiences and the wisdom in the time that they have spent with God, in their relationship with God. I can't tell you enough. When I spend time with people like Mike and Linda, and George and Tony Mariette, me and my wife, spending time with them, what I learned from them in their relationship with God, the way they speak about God, the way they study the Word of God. Young generation, spend time with the older generation. Learn from them. And then the older generation, if you consider yourself an old person, listen to me now. Honor the younger generation. Spend time with them. Learn from them how they, how they understand this new modern age that we are in. The technology and the things you don't understand. Learn from them. 
They have a fresh understanding in this modern day and how they grow in their relationship with, with God in this modern day. I'm all shaky. I don't know why. I think I'm passionate. I'm not stressed. I think I'm passionate. Now I'm getting shaky. But learn from, from each other. Generations, get together. And let's learn from each other to be the church. And encourage one another. And then the third way that they were different were they were diverse professions, different talents, people with different focuses, different purposes, different responsibilities. Listen to verse 1 in chapter, in chapter 3. It says, Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. Okay, so there we see a couple of priests that built together. Verse 8 says, Uziel son of Hariah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs to the next. So we see they were priests, they were goldsmiths, and they were perfume makers, getting together, building together. These were, these were men of different professions. And we don't really read of people that were professional builders that build with. But it were people from, from various professions, all kinds of different people. And if you look at us here, some of, some of us are full-time ministers, some of us are lawyers, some of us are teachers, others farmers, others engineers, receptionists, business owners, CEOs, managers, students. We're all different people with different professions, but we all have a part to play. It's not about the ability. The most, the most important ability in the work of the Lord is availability. Are you available? There where God placed you. In your office, in your college, in your school, where you work at home. There where He placed you, on your farm, amongst your farm workers, amongst your colleagues, amongst your, your friends in school, teenagers. Be the church there where He placed you. Listen to verse 10. It says, Jediah, son of Harumah, made repairs opposite his house. And then verse 23 continues and says, Benjamin and Hashab made repairs in front of their house. And next to them, Azariah made repairs beside his house. These people built and prepared right there where they, where they were placed. Right in front of their homes. So where do you start? Right there where God placed you. You start right there in your family. Right there amongst your colleagues. You reach out to the people that you see on a daily basis. You build the church there where you are placed. And if we, th if we, we speak about the church, specifically the local church, where are you placed? Your connect groups. It's not your job to, to reach out to and, and get together with the whole entire church. Now I think with us being small as we are right now, it's easier to do that. But you focus on your connect group. You focus on those couple of people that you, those, those couple of men that you sit with on a daily basis. You know, my connect group, when I spend time with them on a weekly basis, we sit there together. And I can't tell you how, and, and I, they hear it often from me, and I know those who spend time with my gear it often from, them, from him as well, but I just, think, I just honor them and thank them that they are builders. We are building together. When we sit around that table at Doppio having coffee, Discipling each other, going through the, the foundations, through the one-to-one. 
these people are building with me. And there, there are times that I'm a burnt stone and, I, and, and, and they pick, you know, me being the connect group leader, where I just tell them about stuff in my life that I'm struggling with. And they pick me up as a burnt stone and they push, push me into that wall. I thank them. And I'm grateful for my connect groups. Because that's, that's, that's where we build. That's where we are, we are busy building church. So that's your, your specific focus. There where you are placed, in your connect group. And there's going to be more connect groups coming as you reach out to your colleagues and the people around you. Don't wait for us to give you a connect group if you want to lead a connect group. Start with your colleagues. And we stand behind you and pray with you with what God wants to do in and through your life. And then the last main point I want to speak about is the purpose of the building and repairing that they were busy with. What was the purpose? So we, we say, we, I told you guys that they were building Jerusalem. And we told you that Jerusalem is a metaphor for the church. So they were building the church. But how were these people able to build, even with burnt stones, opposition and difficult circumstances? And in chapter 4, it says there incredibly, in verse 6, it says, They built with all their hearts. I don't think it's on your notes, but you can, can go to, the, to, to Nehemiah 4 and you'll see it there. Verse 6. They built with all their hearts. They had a deep heart conviction with what they were busy with. They were part of this vision. They shared this vision with Nehemiah. They built with all their hearts. They didn't have to be um, persuaded by anyone because it was alive in their hearts. And then verse 9 says, and they prayed. They prayed. Like Mike said as well when we, when we started. Everything we do, we do from a place of prayer. And this is true to Nehemiah's character that we saw last week in chapter 1 as well. When the, when the king asked him a question, it says there, Nehemiah, Nehemiah prayed and then he answered. So he first just quickly prayed and then before he gave an answer. But everything he did was from a place of prayer. And that's how he led the people. He led them in prayer from the start. Let's be a church that prays. We built from a place where we do it from a conviction and faith in our hearts. And from a place that we are seeking God's face every step of the way in prayer as we go forward and be part of what He called us to be. And also what is very important, what I read there, is when Nehemiah responds about the opposition that they face in chapter 4. He says there, the work is extensive and spread out. And we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So there was a trust in God. There was a knowledge in knowing that God is the one, the ultimate one that fights for them. God is the one that is sovereign, that's got the, the, the authority and the last word in this. They're going to do what we called them to do, but they know that the victory lies in God and not in them. God will fight for us. God cares about His church. God cares about His church and it being the church He intended it to be. So God is the one that builds His church. We just have the privilege to be part of what He is doing. We, are, we have the privilege to be vessels. But He is the one building His church. A verse you all know very well, Matthew 16 verse 18 says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. On this rock I will build my church. I will build my church. Jesus, God, he, he will build the church. 
Why? Why will he rebuild? Why is it so important to God? Why is the building of the church so important to God? If we forward to chapter 7 of Nehemiah, we see that after the walls have been rebuilt and the city have been rebuilt, we see the exiles returning to the city. The people that were exiled, that were cast out from the city, returned because the place has been restored. And God's intention always about the church has always been about lost people coming back. About orphans coming back home. About the broken being restored. About a dead city coming back to life. The purpose of the church has always been about the lost coming home. God builds with us as His vessels so that life can re-enter the church. And as life re-enters the church, life re-enters into this dying world that we live in. Will you be available? Again, I want to say the most important ability is availability. Will you be available and be involved with what God is doing so that we can see life re-enter the church, friends? That we can see life re-enter the city of Nelspreet. That we can see life re-enter this country that we are in. Life re-enter the nations around us in Africa, the continents, and into the world. In this time that we're in, we're in a fire. But let's be the church and let's see what God does as we are just available and involved. I'm going to start to conclude now, and I want to tell you a story. And it's a story about a photo that you can see on your notes. It's not the nicest photo to look at. You can have a quick look and put it away if you don't want to look too long. But the title of the photo is The Vulture and the Little Girl. And this photo was taken in South Sudan in 1993 by a South African photographer named Kevin Carter. Now in this picture you will see it's a picture of a little girl and she was on her way to a United Nations food station. But she was too weak. And she was, because of starvation, she was too weak to get to the, the, the feeding station. And she was approximately a half a mile, they say, that's approximately 800 meters away from that feeding station. And she was lying there on the ground and Kevin saw her. He took out his camera because a a vulture came and sat down uh, near her. You can see that in the picture. The vulture standing there, awaiting his chance on her when the time is right. And he took a picture. He won many awards for his picture. And when he was asked about the fate of this little girl, people asked, but what happened to this little girl? He said, you know, he was told that because of sickness and disease in the area in that time, that they were not to get involved with the locals. So he chose to just, he said what he did is he chased the vulture away and he left. So he left the little girl there. And I don't know what happened, but I can promise you that vulture came back. I think the vulture came back. Maybe, maybe many more. He didn't do anything because apparently the cost was too much. Apparently the cost was too much the risk was too big to get the disease. So he did nothing. She was 800 meters away from the feeding station. And some of the comments that he got, some of the people referred to him as a vulture himself that day. 
for just standing there taking a picture and going away and getting all the glory from his photos. Now, four months later, this man committed suicide. And I know it's a horrible story. But I want to ask you, is this the picture of the world? And we choose not to get involved. Because apparently the cost is too much. It's not comfortable. It's not easy. We're going to get opposition. So we'd rather, we'd rather not get involved. What did Jesus do in these circumstances? Jesus, he went to a guy with leprosy and he touched the man who had leprosy. And he healed him. He restored him. Jesus hang, hung out with sinners. Jesus chose to, get, chose to get involved by hanging on that cross so that you and I can have life today. That is how Jesus got involved. Well, we choose to get involved, friends. And I want to ask you specifically in your heart, answer the question, will you get involved? Will you be a builder? Even though you, are, you feel like a burnt stone, will you get involved? Will you pick up the child and carry her to safety? Will we join in in building the walls? And I think I speak, I speak on behalf of the leadership, the church leadership as a whole. We want to provoke you to rise up. We want to provoke you to rise up and join in with building the church that God called us to be. To build with broken stones. But not without the power, the guidance, and the presence and the grace of the Holy Spirit. Because remember, He is the one that's building His church. And all we need to do is say, God, here I am, use me. Let's be a church that chooses to pick up the child and carry her to safety. Now, how does this look practically? As we see the church grow and we see life entering, and I want to I speak about specifically, practical, practically, the local church now, us sitting here. Let's trust, let's, let's trust God and we'll see these seeds fall. You know, it's not, it's, as we grow, as we see the church coming to life, it's not always going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be easy. We're sitting on a hard floor that is cold right now. It's not going to be comfortable always. Your connect groups, I know of a couple of, about a uh, couple of groups that meet early in the morning. And many of those men that meet early in the morning, is, they don't call themselves morning people. But they choose to go. They choose to, to, to go. And despite the discomfort. Or many of the connect groups that are in the evenings. I know that the evening, it's after you, you had a long day at work. And now you need to go sit down around the table and, and get into the word of God. And, you know, sometimes I drive to connect and I don't really feel, I don't want to be there tonight. I just want to chill at home with my wife. But then I get there. And I, like I said, I sit around that table with those builders that build with me. That we, we have the same vision. We have the same vision to see, to see God glorified in this city, in this nation. We have the same vision to see kingdom come. And I get so excited. And, I, and I'm just encouraged and ready to go on. And be who God called us to be, the church. So it's going to be uncomfortable, friends. But the purpose of the church was never about comfort. It's always been about life and restoration. 
It's always been about the lost getting saved. It's about the hopeless finding hope in Jesus. It's never been about comfort. It's about life. Seeing this dying world come to life. And we are the ones that walk in front. Like Nehemiah. We are the ones that say, let's go and rebuild this wall. Let's go and repair what has been broken. We'll face opposition. We'll face the fire. But we will do this and glorify God because He is with us. He is the one that fights for us. He is the one that gives us the strength and the power and the grace by His Holy Spirit. And we will see God prevail. We're going to go into a time of communion, but before I hand over to Mike, I just while, while we sit, while you sit in, in, in time of communion, time of prayer, take this as time of reflection, reflection in your relationship with God. Refle- reflect on where you are in your relationship with God as an individual. Because none of this will, will make sense if you yourself have not really committed your life to Jesus. How can you be a part of something if you have not actually committed your life to that thing by yourself already? So think about your relationship with God. And if you know that you haven't really committed yourself to God, come and speak to us. We will be here afterwards, me and Mike and a couple of the other leaders, and we want to pray with you. So that's my invitation to you. Come and speak to us. And also take time and reflect about the purpose of the church. Ask God, what is, what is it that He wants to do through us as a church? And then also as you reflect, remember what Jesus done. Remember what it cost Jesus. It cost Him His life. And then also I want to ask you to have a moment where you just, you just say to God, God, I'm a burnt stone. But here I am, use me.